Hey, it's Matt. Hey, this is Alex. Welcome to a Merchants Podcast. Today we'll be talking about notifications. Yep. This is going to be a fun episode because Matt and I disagree about something all the way through the episode. We stick to our guns. Yeah. Battle it out. All the way through that, we started recording right in the middle of as we were talking about this. So we're actually going to go back and lay out our positions at the very beginning so you can follow along. So we'll take you now to our prior selves. Here we're talking about notifications, and the main, specifically what we're talking about is what is the important feature of a notification that makes it useful or not. Matt has the principle, which is probably shared by most of you, that the most important feature of a notification is its relevance. Is this useful to you right now or not? It's contextual relevance. My position is whether or not it resolves ambiguity whether it can take you to a state where you have absolute certainty as to what you're going to do with the notification. Matt, you want to give a one-minute summary of your position at the beginning? So we both, in the podcast, reference a quote by Bennett Evans that a computer shouldn't have to ask a question, should know the answer to. So my argument is, is based around that, in that there's so much contextual information today that our devices have, who we're meeting with, whether we're meeting with someone, how fast we're moving, where we are physically, that all that information should be wrapped up in terms of which notifications get served to us. Uh, in that sense, whether or not a notification should be pushed is a question of what information our computers know and our phones know. Cool. My position is not in opposition to maths, but it's more orthogonal, which is the notion that what's actually important about a notification is whether or not it can resolve ambiguity. Um, I take the position, which I've recently written about in a blog post uh, called Notifications Run Our Lives Now, Is There Room for Any More?, where I lay out my position that the rate-limiting step for information intake for us is not actually the amount of notifications that we can see at any given time or their contextual relevance to us, but rather the degree to which we can resolve ambiguity and then triage, categorize them, and deal with them um, in our lives. So in this episode, we talk about that difference, you know, where one matters, where the other matters, and we don't actually come to a satisfactory conclusion. So it's going to need require an episode two, but we hope you enjoy it. Right. You were saying that when you were in a meeting with your boss. Go. Sure. So when I'm in a meeting with a boss, and I receive, or, or any sort of high stress, high impact situation, when I receive a notification, my, my general behavior is just to ignore it. Right, because there's only a very a very small percentage of things that bubble up to the top that would require whipping out my phone and looking at it during that sort of situation. But uh, if my notifications were more contextual, more contextually aware, knew that I was meeting with my boss, knew that, that was at least you know they could, uh, Google can see my calendar, who I'm meeting with, that person's part of my organization, and probably go on LinkedIn and see you know where that person. I mean, maybe not that far, but but there is some contextual knowledge there. Yeah. Um, and it should also know from my social graph who's important to me and what's important to me um, down to emails. And so if I'm in that situation, there are potential other situations that would trump it. And I should, I should receive those notifications so that, you know, you talk a lot about ambiguity, but it, sh it shouldn't be ambiguous. It should know, my phone should know, my notifications should know that, you know, in that situation, there should be something that's important enough to bubble at the top and everything else should be ignored until later. Um. So essentially what you're saying is that the job of ambiguity resolution should actually be done by Google or by somebody and should not be left to the user. Well, it's interesting. I think we've had tools as users for a long time to resolve ambiguity. Right? I can technically go into my phone settings, go to notifications and turn things on and off and, and say how important they should be. And I think it's actually better on Android than on, than on um, 
iOS. I believe so. But and even even on the Apple Watch, there, there's a lot you can do there on the watch that that um, will help solve this problem. But it's interesting that I don't take the time to go and do it. Well, let's come back to the watch later. Let's just talk about the phone for now because the sure. phone is where pretty much all of us are right now. No, you you have your watch. Uh, I actually stopped you know. wearing it. That's a conversation for later. Okay. Um, but right now, when we're on our phones, um, we have. It, we have uh, notifications that come in in a variety of different streams, and they all mean different things. Uh, I recently wrote a post that, among other things, broke down kind of the history of how we got here, where we started with Outlook, where most of our lives are being run through Outlook. There's a single channel that had messages of different importance. And then once we got phones, that one channel got unbundled into lots of different channels. Now all of a sudden you had Messenger, and you had email, and you had Twitter notifications, and you had Instagram, and you have all sorts of things. And then what you could do is, like you're saying, you can give priorities. You can say, I would like to get vibrate alerts when a Gmail message comes in from my work account, but not personal, and I want a Twitter vibrate when I get a DM, but not get tagged mm -hmm. or something, mm -hmm. right? But my, so my argument basically says that this actually works very well at the beginning when the unbundling of the one channel into all these different channels makes it so that all those different channels are relatively unsaturated. But my second point was that at some point, right, it's like widening a highway. If you add more lanes to a highway, eventually they'll get filled by cars. Well, it's a, it's a tidal wave of information that we suffer from. Right. You know, at first you unbundle into all these channels, and then now each of them has a very nice amount of information in it. But then, of course, they all get full again, because now you get all sorts of Twitter notifications and tags on Facebook and things like that. And now that previous separation that used to be useful is now actually misses the point, because now you have to distinguish between emails of various importance and Facebook messages of various importance and things yeah. like that. I think what's interesting is that a lot of, uh, so once this became unbundled and once our um, behavior became what it is on, on phones, mm -hmm. um, what's interesting is, is the way that, that, that computer use changed. I think, I think it was Benedict Evans that talked about you know, 80% of the time that, that we're on our phones, it's those, it's those periods in between things. When you're waiting in line, uh, when you're hopping in the bathroom for a second, when you're at the water cooler, something like that where you're not really doing anything, um, but, but you're in between activities or events sure. or, or work or play. There are notifications that I would want to flood me there, right? When, when I have 30 seconds to turn off my brain and receive a flood of information, that's when I want my Twitter messages. Okay. And so the, the context, I think, there should be very relevant to the, the activity. Okay. Uh, so, what, so what you're saying essentially is that the phone should be smart enough to know when I am not doing something so important, so that, that is the time to show me who tagged me on Facebook and who mentioned me in a tweet and my Expedia.com 30% off email. Exactly. I think, I think most of the mobile experience today is about these moments in between, uh, or not. I mean, so, so some of the mobile experiences, I'm sitting at my desk. When I'm sitting at my desk, um, well, I can come up with a bunch of different examples and experiences, but, but ultimately what we have is this device that's so contextually aware of where I am, what I'm doing, what my activity is, what my heart rate is, what meeting I have coming up next. It, it should, it almost knows, and I mean, this is why products like Google Now are so, are becoming so great and, and have such great potential. The fact that notifications are still dumb and don't take advantage of that, of those contextual situations, um, is a bit sad. Do you see Google Now as being a platform for notifications to be built onto? Certainly could be. I mean, so what, what it's all about is, you know, let, let's use that water cooler example again. Mm -hmm. I have 30 seconds in between meetings. I want to cool off. I want to relax. Uh, I don't want to spend that 30 seconds searching for content. I get so much, so many notifications uh, between Reddit, Hacker News, email, Twitter, 
uh, all of the, the social networks I subscribe to, I shouldn't have to search for content, right? Somewhere in that saturation is the top 10% that I want to get to. Right. This is Chris Dixon's push internet like exactly. right here, right? The question is, do you want this push internet to be coming at you all the time or just at a moment where it is appropriate? That's well, I think, you know, what's interesting is when you, when you wrote in your blog post about the bundling and unbundling of, of notifications from Outlook to, to the current state of mobile, um, what's interesting there as well is, is I think the next problem to be solved here is, is from the, the push internet was great, but now there's too much. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a fear of missing out on content, which is why we scroll through Facebook for hours on end looking mm-hmm. for that one post. So what's the next thing going to be that kind of is the next great filter of this saturation? Um, well, I, my opinion, you can read in this post, is basically saying, well, we started where all of our notifications were in one channel in one place, which is Outlook. And then it got unbundled out into all the different apps on your phone. But then there started to be too many apps. So we bundled all of those notifications into one place, which was the notification tray. And that worked well. But now the notification tray is full. So where is the notification tray going to get unbundled out into? And so the question you have to ask is, where is there room, right? Where can it go? Well, you have to look at where there's room. And I personally think that one area where there's room is in physical space. Um, One part of our brains that we're not using very much when we use our phones is the part that's dedicated to navigating physical space and the relationships between objects in context. Um, the roughly the upper back part, we call it the dorsal stream of the visual uh, uh, stuff. <laughs> you, you can tell that it's been a while since I thought about neuroscience. Um, he has a master's degree in it, folks. <laughs> so, but in any case, I suspect that a lot of where we're going to be going is towards a little bit like what Facebook is doing with chat heads, although that's just at the very, very beginning. You know, I had some people reach out to me on Twitter and be like, but chat heads don't do anything. It's like, well... They don't do that much different right now. It's kind of like what Matt thinks about Slack. It's just chat. It's like, well, yeah, it's just chat for now. Well, so how I feel about Slack <laughs> I, just, I just threw you under the bus right there. It's, but. it's true. We, we tried Slack. It became a flood of information. We turned it off. Um, that being said, I am a fan of chat heads. They were, they're fun. Um, they're fun just to throw around and bounce around the screen. But when you when you posted that, I almost I almost sat down in Photoshop and, 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 and posted the, the chat head uh, riddled phone of two years from now, mm-hmm. where you just have a thousand different little baubles around your screen that have become another layer on top of your application that are just filled with trash. It becomes that overflow from the notification center in the <laughs> physical space. Right. Um, because the, the problem there, I agree with you, that physical space isn't being used. It's a great, <clears throat> it's a great way to store things. If I know, you know, I can I can swipe left or right one one screen on on Android and get to a different space where different things are stored, that's fantastic. But it still doesn't solve the saturation problem, which is there's just too much information, too many notifications coming to me, and they're not smart enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would answer that in two parts. So one, I would say that it's just saying there's too much information. It's like, well, too much information relative to what we're able to take in at any one point in time, right? I bet you that the amount of information that a normal person takes in now, which, you know, they may be a little bit overwhelmed, but we basically cope with it, would be absolutely overwhelming to anybody 10 years ago with the desktop PC. Oh, sure. There's no way that you can handle it because our tools evolve. And with it, our capacity to take in these notifications increases, you know, a lot. It's like the reverse version of uh, Mark Andreessen's answer for why the Internet can't be a utility because you don't shit twice as much every 18 months. (laughs) (laughs) It's the flip side of that. Um, but second of all, I would say, well, there's no reason why this physical space that we're using has to be confined within the screen of the phone, right? 
there's all sorts of room to be creative here. Where else would you put it? Uh, well, the watch might be a solution uh, in terms of being able to flick things around. Imagine being able to flick a chat head from your watch to your phone yeah. or to a certain area in space. It could also be, for instance, taking advantage that, again, if you're going to deal with manipulating physical space, one hugely under-leveraged sensory uh, system that we have right now is touch. Mm-hmm. And touch, our sense of touch is very, very good at discriminating things in physical space. Sure. So there's all sorts of room to experiment there. Sure. But the is, right, well, like you brought up recently, you know, about the watch. Like, what do you think? Like, having used the watch, what do you think about that? Well, so I, the reason I don't wear my Apple Watch anymore, I used it for about a month. I really liked it uh, as a watch, and and uh, the reason I ended up turning it off and, and taking it off was because, um, you know, I am a, a technophile, but being always on and always receiving those notifications was a little too much. Sometimes I like to just put down my phone, walk into the room, and have a moment away from technology. And maybe maybe that will make me a, a pariah of those things, but but that's so that that was it. It was actually a flood too much. The one thing I did find. Um, the, the most innovative part I found of the Apple Watch, the entire Apple Watch experience, was how they did maps. The best part about maps is you type in an address and directions on your phone, put your phone away, and the different haptic feedback will tell you whether to turn left, right, or keep going straight on okay. your wrist. So instead of walking around the city with your phone in front of your face looking at Google Maps, you walk around as normal and you use these haptics, these, these physical locations on your body telling you left or right. Uh, and you can actually enjoy the walk through a new place that you don't know. Okay, so I'm glad you said that because this is precisely what I mean when I say that ambiguity resolution is the rate-limiting step, right? Compare a haptic tap on one side versus the other side, which you know means either turn right or turn left, sure. versus your phone buzzing in your pocket saying, you are about to have to do something, yeah. but you're not going to know what it is until you pull out your phone and look, Sure. right? In the first sense, there is no ambiguity ever because you know immediately. You can sure. distinguish that in real time. Versus in the second, there is some ambiguity that you have to then go and resolve, which is far worse than experience. So, and 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 so so I'm glad that maps work. But were other experiences in the Apple Watch not like that? Well, before I answer your question, there, uh, I, I still when you when you talk about rate limiting steps, mm-hmm. you know, again, just, just remember your own point about saturation, which is right. we're so saturated with notifications today. I don't want my wrist or other parts of my body becoming like the drum set and whiplash, okay. just being pounded away on. Because I agree. I mean, I think, I think there are there are novel ways to solve the problems in terms of um, new ways of sending information, new new types of feedback like haptics. But mm-hmm. until you solve the saturation problem, it's just going to be a flood of information that's too much to deal with at any point. Sure. There, there may not be ambiguity, but it may be annoying to get tapped every every fifteen seconds. Yeah. Um, well, I would say this. I would say. If you think about all of the incoming information that comes at us a little bit like an hourglass, where at the top you have a very wide section of the hourglass, which you can think of as all the information that might possibly be interesting to us. And then at some point, it gets narrowed into the information that is actually coming at us. And then at the narrowest point of the hourglass, you know, the rate limiting step, is the stuff that we can process right now in real time. Mm-hmm. And then at some point, once that gets through that filter, once we pay attention to it, it becomes your short-term memory. Right? It becomes your priorities, your goals, you know, your plan for the day. Right? We can like the the number of things that are in my head right now that are related to what I'm working on today is much, much, much bigger than the amount of information that I am thinking about right now as it comes into my stream of consciousness. Right? And specifically I would argue that it's actually the resolution of ambiguity of whether things are important or not, where I file it, where I put it, do I pay attention to it right now, is really that constraint into where I file it back in my brain. 
right? But maybe you disagree. Well, I, I don't disagree. I, I think that there are two necessary steps to, to the right solution. Um, and, and only one or the other is, is just an incomplete solution. So I agree that, that smart notifications, whatever solves the, the problem, does need to resolve ambiguity. Um, but I think also, you know, the, the, the best thing about the, the mobile internet, which a lot of people like Benedict Evans, again, are arguing that it is the true internet, not the limited internet, uh, are because these devices have so much contextual information, where I am, what I'm doing, um, what I'm near, who I'm, who I'm connected with. And so I think the, that sort of information should be leveraged for just about everything to make these things smarter and more right. contextually aware. Well, they always say that a computer should never ask you something that it already knows the answer to. I think I use that quote in every single slide deck that I, that I give. Ah, uh, nice. Um, and I get, you can certainly buy the notion that a phone knows a whole more about you in real time than a computer does. And that well, obviously so, makes sense. So isn't a notification just a, a, a question the computer's asking you? Isn't it asking you, do you want to read this information now or not? Um, sure. Well, that's, that's one way you do it. If a notification is a question, then it would follow that you know your line of argument is the most correct, saying a phone should only ask you that question if it knows that you are interested right now. Um, the way I look at it is a little bit different, which is to say what a notification is is not so much a question as it's actually a safety feature of the system to avoid something going wrong. And when I say a safety feature, I mean this. You say the reason why we check our emails in the first place is because there could be something important in there, mm -hmm. right? You know, 20 years ago with AOL, you've got mail actually was a useful notification. If you received five emails a week, you know, knowing that there was an unread email in there was actually interesting. Sure. But if you have a lot of email in your inbox all the time, then the question that you have to ask is, is there anything important in there or not? And you should think of this not so much as me and my email, but actually as a whole system that displays system dynamics. And in a system, these systems evolve in various ways to stay safe, where safety in this case means no important information goes unread for too long. And you know, sometimes that the, the, the machine side of these systems evolve, like for instance, let's say um, the evolution of a span inbox is a great way of a machine evolving uh, as a safety feature. But humans also change their behavior too, like the idea of like starting multiple email inboxes to have one for work and one for important and one for junk mail, right? One that I can sign up for a free offer somewhere and then never have to check, mm -hmm. right? It's a constantly evolving system. So I think a notification is actually something that these systems have evolved as a safety warning, less so than a question. Well, if it's a safety warning, it's not a very good one. <laughs> because I, I still um, I still get notifications for the most part that I don't want, and I still miss some things that are important sometimes. Um, but keep in mind, it's a two-way street, right? What you want to see from Facebook is not necessarily what Facebook wants you to see. Hmm. Well, that's an interesting question: is who is it a safety system for? Then? Right, that's the thing. It's not there's there are multiple actors here. <laughs> but I think what's interesting then is is you know one of the one of the points we touched on in the past is um, truly how how the Apple world. And where you know a uh, solely Apple world ten years from now takes us versus solely Google world ten years from now takes us. I think in terms of which actors are there and, and who the safety system is for is different on both systems. Mm -hmm. You know, for for Apple, what they they have as an advantage on iOS is that it's just Apple, so they can do something like ad blockers, which is a whole mm -hmm. other topic that we don't get into <laughs> right now. Just yet, Very topical. Yeah. Um, but for uh, for Android, 
they don't want to do that. They want to get you that, that those feedback and that feedback and those notifications. So that's an interesting point. Is, is who is it really a safety system for? Well, let's consider an artificial system here for a second, where you have an Android phone, and the only app installed on it is Instagram. But you are also very popular, and you have a lot of Instagram followers, and you get a lot of Instagram notifications all the time. And there are certain people who you really care about seeing their Instagram notifications from, but there are also certain people who you don't, mm -hmm. right? Versus Instagram or you know, and Facebook, who have their own motiv motivation, which is that they want to keep you engaged, right? Now you have a system where you have multiple actors, you have safety in your case, which is where the risk for you is that you may miss a notification that is important from someone you care about, versus the risk for Instagram, which is you, by only seeing the ones that you really care about, are not using Instagram to its full potential and or may get, you know, not start not using it anymore and then churn, right? How do you, you know, how do you see, is a notification really a question anymore? Well, let me ask you this. How many times do you get a notification over the course of a day that doesn't result in an action? Before you answer that, that that was, you know, you asked me about other experiences on the Apple Watch. Mm -hmm. That was one of my biggest gripes is that I would get contextually relevant notifications. You know, mm -hmm. at work we use Hangouts, we don't use Slack. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, tech world. <laughs> uh, but I would get Hangouts messages or I would get text messages from my girlfriend or my family or I would get really important emails. But you don't have the ability to reply mm. to some of those apps, email uh, especially, in the Watch OS one. Mm -hmm. And so the most annoying thing I found is I wanted the watch to help me separate from my phone, to be able to leave my phone at my desk, walk into a meeting, and not be afraid anymore and not carrying around this, this brick of a phablet. Mm -hmm. Instead... What I would end up doing is starting to ignore people by accident. I would see their very important, contextually relevant notification, mm -hmm. and have no way of responding. Interesting. Okay, so let me so so let me get this straight, just to recap. So you own actually own an Apple Watch, and I don't. And your position on the Apple Watch has gone from being excited about it as a better way to do notifications and at first liking it to then not liking it because it, the notifications actually became too unactionable and there were too many of them so you stopped using it. Meanwhile, I do not have an Apple Watch and I had previously been very negative about the Apple Watch because I thought that the notifications were not going to be very contextually relevant but I have actually changed my position by thinking actually that's okay because the important part is having it be right there where ambiguity can be resolved in front of your eyes. Yeah. So this is a very interesting natural experiment. Sure. And obviously we have to award you the winner because you actually had an Apple Watch and I had one. Well, so should, here we go. We can find a way to let you live with it for a week. I would love that, but I don't have an iPhone. <laughs> There's another problem. <laughs> um, okay, so that's, that's really neat. Okay, but go, going back though, so you, you said that there were too many notifications that you would get where you would see it, you would note it in your brain, but then you would not be able to respond. Well, is, that a, is that a problem with Apple Watch as a product or just a limiting, uh, a limiting aspect of the screen on your wrist or no. is it a problem with the notifications they're getting? That's a great question. Uh, so personally, I'm not fully bullish on voice as a sole uh, input method. Uh, there's just many situations when pertinent notifications come in that voice just isn't appropriate for. Okay. I mean, the, 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 my favorite experience with the Apple Watch was to be in a conference room, uh, in a meeting, be able to look at what was coming in at a glance on my wrist, 
without obviously pulling out my phone and obviously not paying attention to the meeting. I hope no one from my team is, is listening <laughs> to this podcast. The problem was, uh, the way I use my devices, and I think the way a lot of us use our devices, is to help... Uh, and you talked about uh, Mark Andreessen's quote about you know, increasing how much you should every 18 months. Well, what I use my device for, I think what a lot of us use our devices for, is offloading the bandwidth of our brains to a device. If I get an address, I mean, on the way over here, I forgot your address, you texted it to me. I didn't bother remembering it. I no, knew I would whip out my phone when I got here, and that, that was great. And the problem with the Apple Watch, is let's say I was in an hour-long meeting, and I got five chat, five questions on chat, three emails, and two text messages. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't respond to them, because I didn't have anywhere to offload it to, and technically those notifications were already read. I was in a meeting... So I couldn't respond via voice, and I had no other method other than to look up my phone, which defeats the whole purpose of the watch. So what you're basically saying is that you would get, because you are receiving these inf- these notifications, which are in fact important, but you cannot reply to them on the watch, ambiguity has persisted because you don't know how or when you're going to reply to them. Exactly. Well, and, and, and there is a, a loop, too, I think, in, in notifications, which is response. So one of the... Behaviors I've picked up lately is I don't check my email unless I know I'm in a position to respond. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't respond right away, I won't respond. I just have too much email coming in these days. I should um, take notes there because I'm terrible at this. <laughs> well, and, and it's a it's a strategy that I picked up from from being negligent, where you know I would read email, I say, "Huh, that's interesting," and I go about my day and then not respond and forget about it because there was such a, a, a saturation of of you know getting 100, mm-hmm. 200 emails a day. The problem with the watch there is that you just have nothing to offload it to. You have nothing to remind you. So you always get these incoming notifications, and you just have no way to mentally store them on your device because they're read, they're taken care of. So when you go back to your phone or your computer later, it doesn't look as or doesn't appear as an unread notification. Interesting. So again, you know, so let's go back to my contextual piece. What I think would be a, a, a more intelligent notification is not receiving pertinent emails until I'm in a position to respond. Now, not everyone is like me and not everyone operates that way, and that's fine. If I receive a notification, read it, it's half dealt with, but then forget about it because I, haven't, I have no uh, mechanism with which to offload it from my brain, mm-hmm. and it doesn't get responded to, that, that to me seems like an incomplete system. So the way that I would argue that is to say, like, yes, in fact, that is a problem because ambiguity has persisted because there's an unclosed loop. Right. What I would say is that there ambiguity can exist in a number of places. First, it, the, the first place ambiguity can persist is if you get a vibration in your pocket and you don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. That's ambiguous. If you get a, uh, you know, a push notification on your phone that says two unread messages, that's ambiguous. Right. But what's also ambiguous is if I get a notification and it, like you said, it's fairly important and I should respond within the hour, but I'm unable to do so at the moment on my Apple Watch or whatever it may be and I'm not sure when or how I will be able to respond to it, that's also ambiguous, so, so it's also a problem. So what would your solution be there? Is it, is it that, let's, let's say I'm an individual who has an Apple Watch and an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Uh, would your resolution to ambiguity there be, hey, if it's something that requires a response mm-hmm. to complete the, the system of the notification or the loop there, does it go to my phone and not my watch? Is that the intelligent resolution? Um, so again, if you well, if you come back to my idea of playing with physical space as one place where you know this resolution of ambiguity could go, you can imagine something like imagine the Facebook chat heads, where if you have a chat head that comes in and it's actually important, 
I could flick that off to one area or like one bin that's marked important or one area of the screen that's marked important where that will then pop up in 15 minutes and tell me to deal with it now. Versus if it's not important, I can flick it off to the left where I, it will remind me uh, when I'm at the grocery counter or the checkout or something like that, right? Where you can actually, you can use some sort of plane, in this instance, physical space, to separate out when and how I am going to deal with it. Because if I'm confident that I will deal with the notifications that have been marked important that are on the right-hand side of my screen within the 15 minutes, then I've taken some steps towards resolving ambiguity because I can be confident in knowing that, yes, in fact, I will not leave these people hanging. Sure. Have you heard of un Unroll Me? Unroll Me, no. So un it's Unroll.me. Um, I figured. <laughs> so Unroll.me is an interesting site where you can go on, put in your email address, and it'll show you all of the spam that you received or all of the mailing lists that you're on. In a single click, you can unsubscribe, but you can also consolidate. And so what's interesting is I did it and I found I had several hundred mailing lists that I'm on. And I deleted a bunch and I didn't care about it anymore. But what I did to the rest of them was I consolidated. And some of it's still important. Some of it's offers I still care about. But it's but it's uh, the bottom 10% of my notifications that I only look at if I have time at the end of the day, if I have a free moment to really kind of clean everything up. What's great now is instead of 50 emails of those things, it's consolidated into one email. And that's one of the features of Unroll.me. But what's great is that I know that all that's there. In my mind, mentally, it's taken care of. It's, it's organized. It's, it's done. Mm -hmm. But I only have one email to check instead of 50. And so... I think that that's a good example of, of both of our examples in terms of uh, limiting the saturation via context. The context is it's all wrapped up in one email that's for the end of the day in those moments when I have time. Mm -hmm. But it's all, it also resolves ambiguity because it, I know exactly what's there, and I know that if it's not in an email, that it's something different. Sure. What this reminds me of an awful lot is... Um, it's actually, it's actually in, a, in a personal example, so I used to compete on the cross-country ski team at McGill, and I'm still a member of their email listserv. And on this email listserv, there are two options. You can either get all of the emails that people send into this listserv as they come, just like as a torrent of email, or you can get all of it as what's called a daily digest, where it will collect everything over one day and it'll give it to you in one thing. And the daily digest is basically a feature that everyone tries once and then gets rid of after a couple days. Why is that? And I think the reason why people get rid of it is they say, well, it's way more convenient. I'm not getting spammed with all this email all the time, which 90% of it is, but it's because I'm always worried that I'm missing something, right? There's a constant tension with the notion that there might be something important that I'm missing and will not see until it gets into the daily digest, at which point I might miss it because it's surrounded with 25 other emails. Well, FOMO is a great motivator. Well, it's, it's, it's FOMO, but in the broader sense, it's fear of missing something, right? Fear of missing something important. FOMC. FOMC. There we go. That's going to hashtag FOMC. Hashtag FOMC. Going to catch on. It's only a few letters away from the fonts. <laughs> well, what's interesting there is, again, our devices are getting smarter. We can know all sorts of information about who read those email, email lists, how quickly they read them what order and, and all of that is, is that information is out there. Mm -hmm. What would be an intelligent system is, is a daily digest that also broke off the important bits that it knows you wanted to see. So, so for example, I, I spend a good 20 minutes at night browsing something like Reddit. Sure. I don't necessarily want to spend 20 minutes browsing Reddit, but I have to go through those first five or six pages and there's no gem that I'm missing. Mm -hmm. Theoretically, that's kind of the point of Reddit, is that the, the top 
the, the upper crust of content should flow to the top anyways. Yep. The more I believe in those systems, the less time I can spend browsing, the less time I have to worry about my notifications. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, from time, I'm a, not a huge Redditor, um, which surprises a lot of people. Uh, but one Reddit page that I check a lot is our dad jokes, so I can replenish my quiver of dad jokes. Sure. And I know that I don't have to browse through all of them. I can just go to the top, right? Exactly. And it's, I can be confident in the fact that I'm not missing one of the really good ones, because if it was, it would have been uploaded. So if only we were all getting the same notifications and we could all upload those, then this wouldn't be a problem at all. Right. Uh, but what's important to me might not be so important to someone else. For sure. Right? Yeah. That's the hard part. You know, at the end of the day a human is going to make the final decision of what's important or not. And I wonder if the bridge is too difficult to cross between, you know, machines being able to prioritize your notifications, which they should do a very... Machines should be able to do a very good job 95% of the time in terms of figuring out what's important to you. But I fear that the problem with human nature is that we are not willing to tolerate even that 5%. Right, we need to be sure that we're not missing something important. Sure. Well, I mean, there are some features that exist and some solutions to that problem. So, on my phone today, I can set my favorites. And the way I have it set is that if I get an email or text message from one of my favorites, it always comes to, it's always a push notification. And actually, so, uh, you know, you've heard me for, I don't know, 40 minutes or so, talking about how I really don't like a torrent of information notification all the time. So I, I actually, the only notifications that I see when I'm on my phone are text messages and emails from work. Everything else, I don't actually get notifications for. Okay. Um, those are vibrations. I actually will get uh, noised um, notifications or push notifications from anything from my favorites. So I really, I filtered it to that extent uh, mm -hmm. because I've indicated for me as as the only actor in my system on my iPhone, what's important to me. What would be interesting is, is almost a, a two-way, two-actor system between two humans. What if I could send you an email and score it out of 10, saying, you know what, this isn't that important for Alex, it's only three. Or, you know what, hey, I'm, I'm running, uh, uh, maybe this is another example, I was going to say, I'm running an hour late to Alex's wedding, maybe I want it to be an eight or a nine so he knows I'm not going to be there. Well, I don't want to hear about it, you should probably <laughs> tell someone. Well, that, that's an interesting example, because maybe you'd want that to be a one, that's where the system would fail. Okay, let's play with that example because I think that could be illustrative. So Matt is running late to my wedding. Yeah, sounds like me. he is an hour. He is an hour late. The wedding is starting. For Matt, this is a nine importance. For me, it's also high importance, but I don't want to hear it because That's I'm nice. in the middle of getting married. So I want to find that out later, if at all. Well, if Tess right. is listening, this is the point where you tell her that you're not going to carry your phone with you to the altar. Right, exactly. How, like, how does, you know, how does Google or whoever it is prioritize this information, right? Like, at the end of the day, again, it's, I don't know exactly know how to put this into ambiguity perspective, but there's a huge conflict within the system as to what's important and for whom, right? Facebook's actually started doing this quite well. Not of with, with weddings, but also <laughs> with, with birthdays. Uh, I forget how long ago, because Facebook is just seems like my entire life at this point, uh, because it started when the internet started for me when I was 13 or 14. Yeah. But on birthdays... First high schools to get Facebook. Yeah. yeah. Uh, when, I was th when, when I was 13 or 14, you'd have a birthday, and you get 60 or 70 or whatever uh, notifications. They'd right. all come in one by one. Mm -hmm. Now Facebook is smarter and says, hey, we're just going to serve these, all of these notifications through as a batch. Now, it's less fun. I don't have to sit there and wait and hear the ping and know that I'm popular and liked. But 
Now that I'm 24, I don't really want to sit here and listen to that ping come in every, every 10 or so minutes saying the same thing over and over again. That batch notification, that, that daily digest for my birthday, if you will, mm-hmm. uh, is a much better way to receive the notification. Right. Well, what Facebook gets really well there is not only does it give you the opportunity to take it all in, you'll know that they don't give it to you in one batch. They give it to you in like three or four just to tide you over and keep that dopamine flowing. But then what they do is they also give you the opportunity to like every single one of those messages all at once. So that, that because knowing that, again, it's important for every single one of those people who wish you happy birthday to see that their social capital that they spent was recognized <laughs> and can be validated by you liking that message that they posted on your wall. So now we have right. too many inputs in the system. We have, we have um, context, we have ambiguity, we have social capital, we have mm. daily digest versus FOMO. If only there was a company that understood all of that really well and was worth a large pile of money right now for well, good there, reason. There is an interesting <laughs> question. So let's, let's take this all the way back to the beginning, beginning between bundling and unbundling. Okay. Um, we started with Outlook, which was, which was a very uh, bundled system. Everything was there. Now we're unbundled again. The other interesting trend, though, is that you're, you're starting to see these platforms on platforms. Facebook as a platform on iOS, or Facebook as a platform mm-hmm. on Android. Are they the ones who are going to solve notifications? Well, it probably depends on who you're talking to. Um, there are probably a lot of people out there in the world for whom the only notifications that they care about come from Facebook. And that's fine. Those people probably do really well. Their phones, with Facebook running on them, I'm sure work very well. Entire businesses who put their websites, instead of having a small business website, they just have a Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And oh, exactly. But for instance, you know, if if you work, you know, a very you know nine to five steady job that does not require a ton of inputs and outputs, and the majority of your notifications that you're getting are in your social life, or if there are people occasionally messaging you, whatever, then Facebook just becomes the routing system where all of your notifications go through, and they probably do a fantastic job. The problem is when Facebook is competing against Gmail and competing against Slack and competing with your Uber is arriving now. So can a platform on a platform truly solve the problem? I don't know. I think, I think there's only two actors who can. Well, the answer is probably in China, what's happening with Baidu and WeChat and things like that, where there are actually these giant portals that can sort out all of the notifications. If anyone who's listening actually uses WeChat in China, by the way, and knows how they do notifications, we would love to hear from you. Um, but if you go back to Facebook, again, you know, I've written previously that Facebook is kind of like the new Microsoft mm-hmm. in a number of ways. But one way that I think they are you know, particularly good at this is that they understand that their, their position of dominance has to do with the fact that you can rely on them being there in the background and they will not, you will not be screwed by missing something because of Facebook. And it, go, it, it goes into how you know Facebook does so much testing and so much iteration onto what exactly do they show you and when. And when do they show you just the right amount of ambiguous versus non-ambiguous information that I would not be surprised for them to just leverage this way out into the future being better than everybody else. Consider the fact that at first, you know, consider for, consider when they showed you notifications about other people's birthdays. It used to be friend A, friend B, and friend C are all having birthdays today. Then it was three of your friends are having birthdays today. Now it's John and two other friends are having birthdays today, right? You can see how they're iterating towards the perfect amount of specific versus ambiguous information to make you both engaged and happy about the fact that John is having a birthday versus also wanting to find out who those two who other friends are, who else? right? They know their business super, super well. 
for me, as you know, a user of Facebook, it's probably not important to me who those two other people are, but there's a small chance that it's small someone chance. really important. And Facebook knows that, and they're using it to get you into their app and using it more, right? It's why it can't be just about you, the user, because you're not the only person who's there. What's interesting about our two arguments, and what I like is that we both kind of stayed firm and unconvinced. So you're, you're still very firm on, and about uh, ambiguity. I'm still very firmly convinced about uh, context. I think That's the, the great thing about orthogonal arguments, <laughs> is you can still both be right. You can still both be right. I think, or wrong. <laughs> I think, though, what's interesting is that we're both right for specific areas of, of text. So I believe the, ambi the ambiguity argument works better on a device agnostic kind of world. So, so for Facebook, as an example, Facebook I can have anywhere. And ambiguity is, is probably best for Facebook notifications. Context, I think, is more important if I'm on my my laptop, my phone versus my watch in terms of what I get. I found on my watch, all I wanted was the contextually aware things. Hey, you're near this. Hey, you're you should turn left. Hey, you should turn right. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't want the things that I couldn't re reply to. Maybe those go to my phone, and maybe the things that require longer responses only go to my, my laptop or my keyboard. Okay, so here's my final question about this, because then we should wrap up. But what I've read from a number of people who have gotten the Apple Watch and who have described the difference that it's made in their life is they say it helps me a lot more present because I don't have to take out my phone all the time. I can just take in my notifications as they come as a stream, and I can, not, I can be less distracted by them. It doesn't sound like you've had this experience. So what do you think is the difference there? Well, I don't... So... Maybe these people, and I don't mean to discredit them, but, but maybe what they they perceive as present isn't truly really present at all. Okay. So I, I don't personally really see the difference between reaching into my pocket and pulling out my phone versus glancing down at my watch. Hmm. The amount of time it takes to look at it is, is marginally the same. Maybe okay. the phone takes mil a few milliseconds longer, but I still have to look at my watch. Maybe the first time I flick up my wrist, the screen won't turn on, so I have to do it again. Uh, and then if I want to see the notification, maybe scroll through it if it's a longer text message, I have to bring my right hand to my left wrist and scroll. Mm -hmm. And so all of a sudden, I'm, I'm now focused on that screen mm -hmm. instead of where I'm physically present. So I, I don't see, I don't actually see a difference there. Uh, maybe looking at a glance at something and, and instantly knowing what's important or not, you can be more present, you can filter more things. Mm -hmm. But if it is an important notification, it still draws you in and you're still no longer present. Do you think this is a limitation of watch 1.0 or the watch generally? Until notifications get smarter, it's going to be a limitation regardless. Okay. Uh, and, and smarter is a, is a difficult uh, thing to define here. Because look at, look at my constraints. I, I couldn't respond to important things, things that required response I didn't want. Uh, and the, the important things pulled me out of my presence. So. Within those boundary conditions, the only notifications I would truly want to receive on my watch are the things that I don't really care about, that I can glance down at and say, I don't want to deal with this right now and, and stay present. If it's going to be require my presence, I wouldn't want it on my watch. I'd want it on my phone where I know I could pull it out and be, be not present for a moment. Mm -hmm. If it required a long response, I wouldn't want it at all on either of those devices until I could sit down and write a response. Okay. So in summary, it sounds like, again, to recap what I've said before, Matt, who actually has an Apple Watch, has since adopted my previous position that a Google Watch that was actually smart about the notification that it sends you is in fact the ideal. 
Whereas I, who have not owned an Apple Watch, have abandoned that position because I feel like the watch is probably good enough because it simply resolves ambiguity. So next week on our podcast, I'm going to try the Android watches, you're going to try the Apple Watch, and we're going to see if our positions meet in the middle again. I would love to do that. Cool. All right, Matt, closing thoughts. What do you got? I think we it, what the best part about this podcast is, is typically when we when we sit down and, and butt heads, we typically come to a conclusion and find something novel in the, in the end. But this time around, it was a little bit different. We both stuck to our guns, and uh, maybe that's just what uh, we should have more orthogonal arguments. Oh, I agree. Um, I look forward to seeing what happens, if anything, if you ever try an Android watch, or if the watch gets better. I think we're still at the very beginning of the watch. We're still at the very beginning, really, of phones and notifications. So I really look forward to revisiting this conversation in a little while. Give it six months. We'll be back. All right. We'll be back. Talk to you later. Cool.